everybody. Welcome to the Directors Club podcast. I am Jim Laskowski. And I'm Patrick Rapole. Yep. That's it's true. true. It's very true. Mm-hmm. Um, we are recording a very special episode. Technically, this is episode 120. If we is included it? the bonus episodes. Um, yeah. Oh, so. wow. I was wondering about that. Because this was our plan for the 100th episode. Mm-hmm. Was to do our top 100 films. And then... But I realized that with the bonus episodes, we have already yes. far surpassed our 100th episode. Indeed. Yeah. So, kudos to us. Yeah, good work. Good work, everybody. 120. Yeah. Well, I've been doing this since 2010 or 2011? I want to say we started the very beginning of 2011. Yeah, I think you're right. So, yeah. We, um, we've come a long way, baby. We sure have. Maybe from the gutter to the stars. Is <laughs> we come a long way, baby, a fat boy slim? I think it is, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Very good. timely. I'm, I'm glad I picked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is fat boy slim up to? I don't know. Well, the Chemical Brothers actually did a score for Hannah recently, so maybe... Um Maybe he's doing that too. Yeah, maybe he's scoring. Like maybe he is a composer, but he composes under his name. Right. Um, and maybe he just has had so many songs in so many commercials <laughs> that he is like funding his own independent space program. Mm. I can I cannot imagine how rich Fat Boy Slim is. Like you know, like yeah. it can be hard to imagine what a million dollars looks like, but a million dollars is. One tenth of what he made one month in car commercials in two thousand and two. <laughs> Same with Moby, I would think. Yeah, Moby has to be one of the richest people on earth. Yeah, these, these are people. There was a time, there was a brief period of time where all car advertisements had this like um, drum and bass kind of techno music. Mm. Um, Crystal Method, Crystal Method, <laughs> uh, uh, Moby. Fat Boy Slim, Chemical Brothers surely got up yeah, in there. Yeah. Um, and they must be, if they invest, if they play their, because this is also the time before um, EDM personalities having, like, right. being big. Like, nowadays, yeah, Skrillex is going to make all the money, but Skrillex is going to blow it because Skrillex is living like a baller mm-hmm. uh, with all of his rapper friends. I can't remember. What was the name of the band that was in the Matrix, where the, they have the shootout sequence in the hallway? Oh, well, I can tell you, it's it's one of because I, I own had that, that record. soundtrack. Yeah, it's a either it might be Propellerheads. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Do I have this on my iTunes? If I and look it's up the same the ma- album that had it's just a little bit of history repeating. I don't <laughs> think so. I think that might have been the Matrix sequel. The Okay, so there is no Matrix, sadly, uh, music on my iTunes. But I can say it opens with... Let's go ahead and do step-by-step. Matrix soundtrack opens with... Oh, my God. Marilyn Manson, Rock is Dead. Is Oh, my God. Yeah, There's Rob Zombie up in the mix. There's Rob D that had that piano kind of driven, like, string piece that's like seven minutes long and it was more languid and it was during the scene where he's walking him through and showing him what agents are because it's like were you looking at me or were you looking at the woman in the red dress because <laughs> yeah that's yeah. A, that's really good yeah impression. that's exactly what Lawrence Fishburne sounds like he sounds like uh, Vin Diesel <laughs> yeah Vin Diesel sounds like what's his face from Science of the Lambs 
So, you know, I saw Furious 7. I could not under... I needed subtitles every time Vin Diesel spoke. Yeah. I, I just could not understand what I was saying. about family. And there was, like, even one where it's like, you know, obviously he said something witty and people laughed. I just was like, what did he say? So at that point, at that point you realized you were the only one having this problem. apparently. Everyone else spoke meathead. And you were just like, hmm, what's that? He went, I'm so dumb. And I had no idea why people were laughing. Maybe that it. Maybe that's, you know, everyone... For a while there, everyone was following the Dark Knight train and trying to make dark and gritty versions of sort of fantastical movies because the Dark Knight was so wildly successful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a very good movie as well. And maybe everyone's, like, trying to jump on the Interstellar train and they're mixing all their audio really terribly. Do you remember the the end of Interstellar, what he says? Mm -mm. You probably don't because you couldn't hear it. (laughs) I don't remember that last speech. That's actually a movie that I really want to watch on Blu-ray with the subtitles on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll try that. I can't wait to see that movie and finally understand if that uh, was a happy ending or a sad ending. Exactly. I couldn't hear what the fuck he was saying. Still enjoyed it. Still pretty good. So, this is not the uh, um, Electronica podcast. Sadly. No. We'll get there eventually. Someday. Yeah. That, that was, that's what we're coming, we're coming back as. We're going to be trance. talking about uh, our top seven favorite Portishead B-sides. Oh, God. I could do that, maybe. B-sides, um, I couldn't. Yeah. I would have to do research. Yeah, yeah. But I, I could do top seven I love seven that Portishead Machine Gun songs. song where there's hardly any melody at all. It's just... How's that? I The second I heard Machine Gun, I thought, oh, so this is going to be in the opening credits of like a pretentious art film about war or... Like or maybe like a pretentious trailer. Like, has that ever been in a movie? Can I you- don't think so. Hmm. Machine Gun. We'll have to look it up later. Um, listeners at home can already look it up, and they they know that the correct answer is yes. It was in Oblivion or whatever that Tom Cruise movie was. Oh, that's right. I never saw that. Neither did I. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was in anything. No, but no. it was sampled by The Weeknd. So hmm. no. that'll be interesting to hear. Um, yes. So Patrick has finally had enough of my puns. Mm-hmm. I, I warned him. Yeah. I warned him. Um, yeah, so I uh, am going to take a break from the podcast. You're going to be a um, monk. <laughs> I kind of am. I, uh, I've i deleted my Facebook. I've unfollowed everyone on Twitter. Um, I don't tweet anymore. I've just sort of withdrawn. It's, you know, I don't know. The podcast is a lot of work. Um, and it was just becoming a more and more of an effort to put that work in, and I didn't want to sort of phone it in. I yeah. Wanted, I would rather just stop doing it. Um, so Whether that's permanent or not, we'll see. Yeah, I, I'm not going to claim that the Director's Club will never continue, and I'm not going to... I mean, I've, I've, I've said to you, Jim, like, you know, you can keep doing it if you want to with other people, or you can take it wherever you want to take it right now i just sort of need to take a leave of absence so that's what i'm going to be doing which i did last year and i completely understand it it, it takes a lot of effort to put i mean to take time out too and -hmm. that's something that you know i've talked to you about is like i really would like to work on my documentary but i gotta watch fastbender movies yeah you know and there's certain things like oh i really want to read this book but and it's not necessarily like a chore really it's just like time consuming Mm -hmm. and it's something that i'm struggling with too and you know it's possible that like the only other thing i thought about like i I think i even woke up in the middle of night because my cat was making noises 
and then jumped on my face. And then, of course, a light bulb went off over my head. I should turn this into like a pop culture club podcast because I love music and we've talked about books and we've mm-hmm. talked about, I mean, we talked about everything throughout this podcast, including the many bonus episodes we've done. So, like, we can still talk about a director, but then maybe in the next episode we can talk about an album or the next episode we can talk about a book. I mean, I think one of our um, fans wrote something similar, Valerie, and I, I like that idea enough to consider it more. Yeah. But I'm also taking a pretty much a month off, and my birthday in May is probably when I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to continue this in some form, or I'm also going to take a pretty long break here, yeah. too. I will, I will say, though, um, so last episode, the John Houston episode, I told all of our listeners that um, I really wanted this film my friends were making most likely to get funded on Kickstarter. So I said, if you donate $50, then I will do a bonus episode on any topic you want, you know, barring snuff films or whatever. And five people uh, actually donated $50. And, and they all want you to cover 8 millimeters. Yeah, they all, they all said it was snuff. Yep. Pretty much. <laughs> Roberta Finlay. Videodrome and 8 millimeter, please. Uh, Roberta Finlay, yes. Roberta Finlay directed snuff. Um, oh. Hmm. They were they they were they were a husband and wife directing duo who made very strange exploitation films. A lot of those are on something weird. That's a pretty uh. good label, but uh, they're not good movies. But they are for the kind of sexploitation movies they were making in the sixties. They're fucking bizarre. So Roberta and Ted Finlay, I want to say. At any rate, they're weird people. Uh, they made a movie called Snuff. I've never seen it. Yeah. Any rate, so there will be five, at least five more episodes I'll be doing in some fashion. I mean, hopefully, I will be able to have the people who paid fifty dollars be the guests. Um, oh, that because be I don't want to do a solo episode unless, I mean, I could do a commentary track and that would make sense one person, but I don't want to monologue. A bonus episode. So I'll have to figure something out for that. Those are going to be coming out sporadically. Some people have already given me some good ideas. One person wants me to cover two very um, debated uh, Scorsese thrillers, Cape Fear and uh, Shutter Island. Oh, wow. So that would be one of them. You haven't seen Shutter Island yet, have you? I haven't seen Shutter Island, no. I'd love to hear your thoughts I'm excited to see it. So those are still going to be coming out. So in addition to this, there are going to be five other episodes of the podcast at the very minimum. Um, Yeah, and... I'm open to, you know, coming on for the one I suggested. So. Yeah, 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 you should. Yeah, because uh, I'm excited to talk about both of those. You, I sh- yeah, I should say, you are one of the people who donated 50 bucks. Oh, yeah. And I, by I the way, to. everyone, the movie, most likely, it got kickstarted. So thank Yay! you so much, everyone who donated. Um, that really meant a lot to me because I have no money at this point. I am poorer than I have ever been in my life. And so that meant a lot to me to be able to... Uh, help make that movie uh, make its goal. Yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to support independent film, and I'm very glad that this is going to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, but this episode is not about any of the 17 different things that we've talked about up to this point. This episode is actually about something we want to do for our 100th episode, which are favorite movies of all time. Yeah, we did this very early on. It might even, I don't know if it was pre-Cameron Crow or around like the same time. Probably. I think it was around the same time, and I yeah. think it might be a lost episode. It's there. It's, oh, it's now there? in the feed, because, thanks to Andrew, who found it for us. Okay, so, so it was a lost episode yes. at some point. Our lists have dramatically changed mm-hmm. since doing this podcast and seeing many more movies. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about our top 50 movies of all time. We're going to 
the fit numbers 50 through 21 we're going to go through pretty quickly just so this isn't a five-hour episode um i will say um there's a very highly technical uh <laughs> and highly arbitrary way that i made my list uh Ooh, tell us how because i know you actually do keep a favorite movies list. i try to it's, it's not, that you're, yeah, not that you're constantly up updating it but you do update it every once in a while um so, but for me, oh man, yeah, something just <laughs> fell. That's uh, that's it's a fine. sign, Patrick. Yeah. Headphones fell. It's a fi- sign. This is this apartment's fucking haunted. I'm gonna be, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna see. But have you seen Lights Out yet? Lights, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's God, what's gonna happen that's next. Freaky as fuck. Fucking if they made out, a feature of that, that would be something. you couldn't stretch that out. To I know like, that movie's so perfect. Anyway, yeah. Lights Out is gonna happen. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to YouTube and search for Lights Out short and. Uh, just be prepared to be really fucking scared. So here's how I made my list. I uh, I have five movies that I can call my favorite film. There are five movies that I could say at any given day, that is my favorite movie. I like that approach. So those movies are ap- – and so my numbers one through five, um, which I'm going to go through alphabetically, those are my favorite movies. Everything else, I just picked – my five favorite, five or six favorite movies from any given decade. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of just arrange them so they'd be jumbled up in a way that would be more interesting. So so I'm not just like going through them chrono- uh, chronologically. So it's really arbitrary. Of course. It, it was could pr- change tomorrow. <laughs> it took me fucking two hours to do this thing that it is meaningless. But uh, at any rate, I have a pretty good list these aren't the greatest I don't think these are the greatest films of all time these are the 50 films that I would say are my favorite and sort of you look at these 50 films you know what my taste in movies is and same here pretty much I mean I do tend to rank them in some fashion but the ranking for me is arbitrary it can change at any given time and most of the time I go back and go oh I forgot this or that should be higher upon a rewatch after I watch it again and it's like Again, that's the other thing. You can't watch all fifty in a row, and then right. like you like some of Organize these I've them. seen once. Some of these I've seen once five years ago. Some of these I've seen four times, and the last time I saw it was recently. Like yeah, it's, exactly. It could so that's why it's just a highly arbitrary process. But at any rate, but so I'm just saying, for any one movie that's on this list, there might be two movies that I also love as much that I just had to cut. Right. So just. Don't just say, like, I can't believe you like blank more than you like movie that's not on the list. I Maybe I don't. Maybe it's just I had to lower it to 50. Yeah, and I'm very tempted to look at Patrick's collection and go, did I forget anything? Yeah. And that's just, you know, that's memory. I mean, You my- forgot Maniac Cop 2. Oh, yeah. Stare over at my poster there. You forgot Maniac Cop 2. It's funny, too. though. I thought I saw Contact, and, like, there's no way Patrick owns Contact. I do own Contact. You gave really? it to me. Oh, wow. I don't remember doing you that. You gave it to me. Yeah, it's because um, I got on Blu-ray. But it's, yeah, uh, it contact's fine. It's not in my top fifty. Let's do a temper like a, an occasional check and see if the guy is in the alley update for the podcast. Oh, that's right, because uh, the guy who uh, smokes in the alley and stares at my window while I, we record is in the alley. Uh, I think he's on the phone right now. Oh, okay, good. That's so something we're normal. We're safe. Uh, okay, good. But that was actually I thought about that guy. I thought about this guy right here. While I watched It Follows. And, 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 and for me, that guy would be like 10 times scarier after seeing It Follows. Yeah, yeah. I was going <laughs> to like, oh, I thought about him a lot. Okay. At any rate, uh, let's just start with 50. Um, you go first. Should I, base, do you want to go back and forth? Yeah, or, back and oh, forth. Okay. Number 50 on my list. And again, it's, 
it might, people might think it's low because it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie, but it's Rear Window. Rear Window, okay. Yes. Great movie. Absolutely. My favorite Hitchcock film. Mine too. Okay. My number 50 is Exit Through the Gift Shop. Ooh, it's that's a good choice. One of my all-time favorite documentaries. Mine too. There's very few things in... There's very few things in cinematic history, and by very few, I mean there's like probably 30 things in cinematic history that make me as full of joy as the opening credits of Exit Through the Gift Shop, and the rest of it is really great, too. Um, Speaking of the arbitrariness of art, uh, there you go, (laughs) Exit Through the Gift Shop, number 50. What's your number 49? Number 49 is a a movie I think I've only seen twice, and it could go higher, it could go lower, but... It really impacted me um, the year I saw it. And once you finally see it, you'll know why, especially. But it's Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yeah, I should see that. I should get around to seeing that. You You've should. only been telling me to see it since it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, my number 49 is Seven Chances. Uh, oh, Buster Keaton. Yeah. Favorite Buster Keaton. I would say The General is a better film, but Seven Chances has, to me, the funniest stretch of 15 minutes, maybe in film history. That's true. Um, there's another film on this list that has a maybe a funnier stretch of 15 minutes, but it's it's very few films make me laugh as much as uh, Buster Keaton running away from a million women in wedding dresses makes me laugh in Seven Chances. What's your number 48? It's an interesting choice that you might go hmm at. Um, I rewatched it this week, and it's Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Okay. Um, I still think it's a really strong, effective movie that's just makes no bones about what it's about. Yeah, and it's very straightforward. Um, it creeps into you slowly, and I just think Michael Rooker's performance is just unreal in that movie. The, and it, the ending of this, just oh my god! It I, is. It is. A, it's almost an unassuming movie because yeah. it's actually the reason it never comes to mind when I think of all-time great movies is, for me at least, is because. It has this very stark lack of style. That's kind of what I like about it. Yeah, I think that really makes it better. But at the yeah. same time, when I think about like things that have thrilled me cinematically, like oh, sure. that stark lack of style isn't always going to be the first thing that comes to mind. But it really benefits it. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is a great choice. And I imagine a choice you've chosen just because yeah. more than most movies, it has affected you in some way as far as just like being – you've told that story, like oh, being a child and seeing it and it fucking the, you the up. The home invasion sequence alone – is something that yeah. you'll never forget once you see it. And it's it's John McNaughton, who's from Chicago, and he's made some interesting movies. And I, I hear he's got a new one coming out on VOD with Michael Shannon. So. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. It's been a while since we've seen something from that guy. So my number 48 is The Squid and the Whale. Mm-hmm. Um, it is... Is uh, it your favorite Noah Baumbach? It is. It barely... Francis bedges, Ha is so close. It barely edges out Francis Ha. Um, Francis Ha was almost on this list. Um, yeah, me too. Squid and the Whale is a movie that... I, it it is one of those movies that um, I've grown to like more just just over just because of how much time I've spent defending it from people who hate it, and I understand people mm-hmm. who hate it. Like, but I think that Squid the Whale is probably the number one movie that isn't a crime film. Uh, the number one example of why you should not be afraid um, to make movies with quote unquote unlikable characters. Yeah. Because they are all so fully fleshed out and realized. It doesn't feel like a, um, oh my god, happiness salon. Oh. It doesn't feel like Todd Salons. Like, it doesn't feel like it's just wallowing in awfulness for awfulness sake. Uh, and the man who, <laughs> in the man in the alley is off his cell phone and he's back in the alley staring at my window. Awesome. Yay. Okay. Um, but it's, man, all of those characters 
just want so much and they they aren't just knee-jerk awful people they they're just hurt people who are doing terrible things to each other and i don't know squid in the whale is a really great movie and don't be afraid to make your movie 80 minutes long. Yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> I was just thinking yeah, that. Because like, Happiness is, I like it, but it's too long. Yeah. It could have trimmed the it's story. It's been a long time since I've seen Happiness. Um, it, it might be one of my favorite. It's definitely my favorite Todd Salon's Oh, movie, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's Well, actually, I think maybe Welcome to the Dollhouse I like a little bit that's more. That's short. Yeah, I should rewatch that one, too. Welcome to the Dollhouse is the only one that has just like a little glimmer of hope in it at the end. And that feels a bit more honest to well, me. Well, the kid comes at the end of Happiness. That's a glimmer of hope. There you go. There you go. That glimmers uh, in the sun. Yeah, What's your number 47? Speaking of sexual confusion... Um, number 47 is The Last Picture Show, which is a movie that I've only seen once, and I bet if I watched it again, I think it could go higher. Did you watch it when you borrowed my BBS no. box set? No. Okay. I, I haven't seen I it I have Last Picture Show on Blu-ray. I haven't watched it. I only watched it in high school, and it was one of those movies that sometimes when you're in high school, you watch a movie that you know you should watch, and then you go, yeah, that's probably good. I don't get it, but that's no, probably good. it's really good. I should rewatch it. It's a Last really Picture good coming-of-age, sexual confusion uh, people in a small town, unsure of Jeff, that's where they want to be. One of those things where it's just like you see someone at a, as a really young actor just doing amazing work. Jeff Bridges in that and Fat City, yeah, right, is just so incredible. He was pretty damn good right out of the gate, that mm-hmm. guy. And then Starman comes along and he just wins my heart. But <laughs> Last Picture Show is full of phenomenal performances. Sure. Uh, Ellen Burstyn in particular, who I love. Um, it's it's a movie I, I'm dying to watch again sometime soon, but I know it would definitely be in my list. And it is. Um, num- my number 47 actually should probably be higher now that I'm looking at some of the other movies that it's below. That's bound to happen. Um, but Stagecoach. Um, Ooh, is, I haven't seen that yet. You I haven't? No. Oh, I'm so excited for you. It's just, ah. It's a perfect adventure movie in the way that movies you know, like Jaws are perfect adventure movies. Um, it is the it is my absolute favorite John Wayne movie. Um, it barely barely edges out uh, Red River, um, but it is it's so exciting oh. and the characters are so well drawn and it is that Star Wars kind of a thing where it's just like this ragtag you know Star Wars slash Wizard of Oz slash Hidden Fortress or all those Kurosawa movies <laughs> that Star Wars rips off like thing where it's these just these ragtag group of people who have different ideas and different goals and different visions they just are forced together to accomplish one thing sure um, Stagecoach is an amazing movie and it actually has sort of especially with its ending it has this emotional undercurrent that is really affecting in a way that other movies that are like this, that are just kind of perfect entertainment, don't always have. So you like it more than The Searchers then, huh? I do. I, I, okay. I definitely like it more. Than, I think Searchers is a little long in the tooth. There's, Maybe. There's definitely some sequences in Searchers where I just sort of check out, like the wedding and stuff like that. It's like, okay. Yeah. Most classic movies with, with a long wedding sequence I tend to tune out. Like mm-hmm. even Godfather. Um, and Deer Hunter. Oh, I, really I cannot long. agree with you on Godfather. By the way, Godfather, the only reason it's not, you're not going to hear it in my top 50 is because I haven't seen it since I was in high school. Yeah. I keep it's been meaning a while to watch those I've first two too. Godfathers. I, I, but I, that's probably be in there. Yeah. So anyway, that's my number 47. What's your number 46? My number 46 is probably my still my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie, and that's Dr. Strangelove. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or How I Talk <laughs> And uh, it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Possibly my favorite satire. Um, I think we both agree on the top two satires, Citizen Ruth and Dr. Strangelove. That's right. And uh, this one is just uh, endlessly rewatchable, hilarious. George C. Scott's fucking great. And, of course, Peter Sellers. Um, as much as I like 
where Kubrick went in terms of getting darker and a little bit colder, I just there's something about this movie that still resonates for me to this day and being a great anti-war movie. It's utterly hilarious. It's yeah. What's amazing is that Peter Sellers is so funny in it, but he's so he perf- he shows his his range of funny. Like mm-hmm. most, they're like they're a great comic act. Great comic actors, but they just had the one thing they did. Like, yes, people make like people are like, oh, Will Ferrell, he's just going to be Will Ferrell in the Will Ferrell movies. It's like well, Groucho was just Groucho. Like, it's really hard to just develop one really good comic persona. But Peter Sellers, just being the chameleon he is and the character creator that he is, like in that movie, he's four or three different amazing characters. I think it was originally yeah. supposed to be four. And he's three. He's, so, he's somebody whose career I'd like to explore more because I think I've only seen one Pink Panther movie. Yeah, that I was when I was very young. I haven't seen any of those. I saw The Party, which I wasn't the biggest fan of, but yeah. it's pretty good. Um, but yeah. Yeah, there's great. nothing more you can say about that. Uh, my number, number 46 is a movie I watched a million times in high school. I haven't seen it for a while, but it is just uh, a sort of a, a happy place movie for me. Which is kind of strange. It's an American movie, which is not necessarily oh, yeah. a happy film. Yeah, no, I think that's a great choice. I, that's one I should probably put on mine. It's yeah. a very uh, special film about it, filmmaking. And yeah, not even necessarily about filmmaking, but just... Just a, the passion of, you know, and just about creative drive. <laughs> and about dreams that don't get realized, which yeah. is like a really... It's really sad, but it's also there is a certain level of nobility to um, oh Jesus, what's the main character? The main uh, the, it's a documentary. Chris, so the focus. It, it's not Chris, is it? No, no, no. It's uh, Mark Borchardt. Yes, Mark Borchardt. Like Bor- Mark Borchardt is just an amazing person, and mm-hmm. and really like he's a dirt characters. like he's a dirt bag, but he's he but he there is something uh, endearing about him, you know, and yeah. American movie is an incredible film. Uh, Couldn't agree more. That's something I'm like, that yeah. could have been on my list. I should have put it on there. But instead, um, one of two Robert Altman movies. This is your number 45. Indeed. Um, I struggle with this. Like, Part of me was like even thinking, I should put Blow It Out on here, but Patrick proved me right after I rewatched it recently and kind of went, yeah, that was a weird character choice. Um, I decided to go with The Long Goodbye. Oh, as yeah? much as I love McCabe and Mrs. Miller, this is the one I go back to the most just because it puts me in a great mood and I love Elliot Gould in it and uh, brilliant brilliant comic yeah, performance by absolutely Elliot Gould. I just think that it's just it's one of those movies where I'm so immersed into it and half the time everything just feels like otherworldly but also grounded in reality it's just it finds this right balance between like the noir sort of detective Mar- you know the Marlowe character and then at the same time it's a Robert Alden movie mm-hmm. <laughs> with the overlapping dialogue and quirky people popping up and then just like random detours that kind of okay Schwarzenegger is going to take off his shirt in the scene for no reason you know he shows up they're just like and, and oh god the coke bottle moment with the or uh, yeah. what, what's his name I mean there's like some shocking stuff in the midst of this kind of um, Schwarzenegger is in yeah Dubai? yeah he, he shows up and he missed him it's that scene where uh, you know the the lead mobster guy is oh, telling. Oh, he's one every- of the heavies. Yeah, he's like telling everybody to take off their shirt and stuff. I didn't recognize him. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, watch it again. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, I guess I should. No, it's it's just one of the instant pleasurable movies, and when I this was I don't know if this was the first one that made me go. Oh, this is why Patrick loves Altman. Yeah, but it could be. I think. Um, my number forty-five is Casablanca. Which I got to see on the big screen on yeah. Valentine's Day. If I rewatch that, I bet that'll be. Higher. It is. It is just perfect entertainment. Yes. It is. 
It is such a beautiful movie. The writing is so sharp. Every other line is just this withering one-liner, and it does have an emotional undercurrent, and it knows just the right amount to play it. It never becomes melodrama, but you Mm -hmm. actually do care about the characters, and it resonates to the point where when that ending does happen, you actually are... It is very moving. Um, You know, it's... You know, but it is just about Humphrey Bogart is this... Oh, he played he played such an interesting version of the cool guy because, I mean, a lot of cool characters have this undercurrent of sadness, but, um, you know, there's just this, you know, like Brando, obviously, there was a sadness under there, and, oh, yeah. and James Dean, and, you know, Rebel Without a Cause, there's definitely a sadness in there. But there was there is just something like just on the edge of pathetic about Brando at times um, in some of these films, uh, which for such a masculine man is like a really sort of interesting thing. And then that that whole movie is just incredible. I love Casablanca. It is it's all it's also one of those things where it's like if you don't like war movies, quote unquote, you probably just don't like war battle scenes because war is actually such an interesting time where so many interesting stories emerge. Oh, God, yeah. Like, this is, like, like Casablanca is a war movie. Like, it's all about the war, but it doesn't have any soldiers, you know? Mm -hmm. Or it doesn't have any, like, soldiers in battlefields and lying in trenches and stuff like that, but it's really good. I love Casablanca. I completely agree, and again, if it's something I rewatch soon, I bet it'll be higher up. Number 44 is a surprise, if there ever was one. But then again, two of my biggest heroes in the world are Paul Thomas Anderson and Louis C.K. And what is the movie that made them want to make movies? Or at least, you know, a movie that they both went in and I think they both went into a video store and sort of discovered it by accident. Young Einstein featuring Yahoo Serious. No, Patrick. (gasps) What? It's Ernest Goes to Jail. Oh, right, right. The one where he gets executed and then gets superpowers. Yeah, it's classic. It's called Putney Swope, actually. Yeah. And... Again, like, I kind of went, I really could put Wet Hot American Summer in the sort of the uh, classic comedy uh-huh. that Jim loves in this list, but I I watched this recently. I'd seen it a long time ago, but my memory was fuzzy, and I laughed pretty much from beginning to end. I think it's a sharp satire. It's kind of a mess, but a, a really endearing and strange, surreal mess that also kind of goes, I kind of go, oh, well, yeah, some, like my some of my favorite comedy has come from this movie has been influenced by this movie and you can sort of see why sort of the slapdash kind of approach to filmmaking and it's I still don't understand it completely but I love it I just think it's really sharp and smart and I want to see more Robert Downey senior movies it is so ballsy yeah exactly (laughs) it is it is just like you watch it and it's just one of the most audacious things ever uh huh um I imagine saying about race at the time and also just being an interesting commentary on corporate America yeah um, I and just, just being like silly at yeah, times too. Exactly, it finds that right balance between everything I find interesting and funny. Mm-hmm. And so. th- and that balance is always more impressive when it seems like, like obviously Robert Downey Sr. knew what he was doing when he made that movie, but just some of the just because it's so low budget and because the technical limitations are so staggering, like you kind of walk into it and you're like. This movie is made by people who don't quite grasp what they're yeah. doing right now. There's a, like a level of danger to it. That's part of its it. charm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it has a level so of good. danger to it where it's just like, I, this could go anywhere because these are madmen. Yes. Uh, and clearly they're madmen because they couldn't hire union cameramen or, or union sound guys or they couldn't actually record sound on location mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> 
I, I think actually they did record sound location, but they just had to dub over the one, <laughs> the main actor it was right. It, it, it was it was the uh, Hercules in New York thing with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where they're just like, okay, well the main actor, we're just gonna put someone else's voice over it because you can't understand him. Yeah, it's a revolutionary film of sorts, even yeah, though it may not have it's been. It's a revolutionary like... film of many sorts. Yeah. Yes, great film. Uh, my number forty-four is Blue Velvet. Um, yeah, that should be higher on my list. It is. But it is. I think it is. It's. It's. It's hard for me to say this is the best thing Lynch ever did because I really, really, really like Eraserhead. But ultimately, I think Blue Velvet tickles my brain in the exact right way. Um, And it is a, with me at least, it's a really fickle formula of of things that I like about David Lynch and things I don't like about David Lynch. I. I can't take David Lynch unless it's just the right balance. If it isn't, then I then it's just like it's the most grating thing like in the world to me. First season, Twin Peaks, Blue Velvet. Yeah, first season, Twin Peaks, Blue Velvet, Eraserhead, Mulholland Drive. Um, that sort of blending of genre and and surreality and melodrama. It's or in, I mean, in the case of Eraserhead, you just make one of the. Startling, most startlingly beautiful films ever shot. Like the Black Hawk yeah. of that is just, I mean, yeah, Eraserhead sort of stands outside of those, but that's a really good one, too. This might be the first movie that I just list the title and we can move on. Okay. 43 is Hal Hartley's Trust. Okay, that's fine. I mean, that's an important. <laughs> no, I mean, we can say it's a movie I hate I know. and don't understand, but it's a movie that's important to you. I understand why yeah. it's on that list. Absolutely. And his latest is pretty good. I was surprised. It's like a. I'm not gonna watch it. I know. But I'm glad you. <laughs> I'm when glad you enjoyed saw, it. Like Aubrey Plaza and the Hal Hartley movie. Oh my God, Patrick's gonna steer clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. I, yeah. I mean, not that I dislike Aubrey Plaza, but she has to be like a spice. She has to be like an, a disaffected spice to add to a movie. And that she's is doing all else. over this one. Yeah, yeah. I There's can't. a lot of spice in this one. I, I've also, never watched an, a movie where Aubrey Plaza is the lead, but I love her in Scott Pilgrim. I love her in Parks and Rec because yeah. it's just. A little bit. Exactly. A little bit goes a long way. But I will say, in the, in the latest, you get to see uh, the uh, the Henry Fool character come back, and he's one of the best oh, in the world. I've been... Mm, I've, I can't... I'm like, well, what's Henry Fool up to? <laughs> <laughs> I've been on the edge of my seat. Well, we know how you love Wondering trilogies. Wondering about the extended universe of Hal Hartley movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number 43 is The Sweet Smell of Success. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Devastatingly brutal movie from the 50s, I, sh- I want to say. Um, best Tony Curtis performance. Burt Lancaster is unbelievable in it, and it is just—it is everything you want out of noir, but with none of the typical uh, cliches of noir. Which is to say, there's no detectives, there's no guns, there's no there, there's no uh, you know criminals, there's no uh, Maltese Falcon. But it has the photography, it has the soundtrack, it has the performances, it has the moral ambiguity. Indeed. It, it is an incredible film. Sweet Smell of Success. Another one I haven't seen in a very long time that I need to see again. Yeah, this is one of the few that I've only seen the once. Um, but I left a big impression of it. Actually, a lot of these films are not are films that I walked away from thinking, yeah, it was pretty good, but they are just films that lingered in my mind. Yeah, um, I, 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 I hold very few some. of these movies. I walked out of the first time saying masterpiece. Um, yeah, usually these are just these are movies that are just have just occupied my brain. So that was my number uh, forty three. What's your number forty two? It is Rushmore by Wes Anderson. It's great. It's still my favorite Wes Anderson movie. As yeah. much as I have an emotional connection to Royal Tenenbaums, this is still the best in my yeah. mind. Rushmore is amazing. I'm sure it might be higher on your list. It we'll is see. higher on my list. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, 
My number 42 is Love and Death. I had to get oh, yeah. uh, one of Cla- Woody Allen's classic comedies in there. Love and Death. Good call. Makes me laugh harder than most movies. Um, it, there's nothing to it. Um, he's kind of playing with Bergman stuff. He's kind of playing with Russian author stuff. But like, it doesn't amount to anything. It's not actually saying anything. It's just the way that Sleeper is a sci-fi comedy, which meant <laughs> it's a bunch of wacky jo- uh, Woody Allen one-liners in a sci-fi universe. This is just a bunch of wacky Woody Allen one-liners in a Bergman movie. Yeah. It, it, I, it, there's nothing to it except that it's the funniest thing ever, which is it's definitely quite all right. Yeah. Uh, and it's also, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like um, given that it's one of the funniest films ever made, it's a little underrated. Usually uh, when people throw the obligatory uh, early Woody Allen movie, they do Sleeper. But I think Love and Death is way funnier. I think I agree with that, actually, yeah. I think, if only because Diane Keaton gets to show off mm-hmm. how funny she can be. Um, number 41 is kind of a surprise because I, too, really struggle between Francis Ha and Squid and the Whale. Yeah. But in terms of quotable, and in terms of, like, a movie I think about when I think about what it's like hanging out with my friends and having kind of just regular day ordinary conversations or what it was like living with a couple of friends um or at least one friend in particular it's kicking and screaming i mean i mm-hmm. love noah bombach's movies and for some reason i'm putting this one up highest i love i love kicking just and because screaming. like everything about it seems to resonate with me in some special way like i i can see like oh that eric stoltz character i know a guy like that um and you know just in terms of like just the the random sort of non sequiturs, like this movie does it really naturally, and not like in a weird forced Whit Stillman kind of way. I just love his tone in this movie, and um, I'm I'm hearing that his latest is in terms of dialogue is pretty close. Yeah. To this so so it's more because the other thing about kicking and screaming is it's more of an overt comedy. Yes. His later films they got more sour and they got a little harsher and uh, a little more in the real world, whereas mm-hmm. kicking and screaming. It does just feel like a lot of the things that characters say in the movie are just really good one-liners. Yeah, yeah, which I don't mind at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's kicking and screaming is incredible. Yeah. Um, my number forty-one is *Mask of the Red Death*. It's my absolute favorite uh, Roger Corman movie. Um, it is. It's one of those things that it barely edged out because of the way I made my list. Um, this is on my list, and. Um, the Abominable Doctor Fives is not. Mm-hmm. I like it more than the. I like Abominable Doctor Fives more, but I just think, uh, but just because of the process I made my list, this ended up on there. So, uh, Mask of the Red Death is just an utterly gorgeous uh, Roger Corman Edgar Allan Poe adaptation with uh, everything you like about those movies. If you like those movies, like I do, uh, and great Vincent Price performance, and it's paced like a Corman movie so I think it's like 79 minutes or something and it's yeah great I agree and it's one I would like to watch again too um my number 40 yeah is uh, a recent addition um I think I rewatched this within the year and is now forever my favorite Jonathan Demi movie and everybody's gonna go oh yeah he loves Paul Thomas Anderson blah 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 but um, I gotta go with Melvin and Howard from yeah, 1980. Yeah, I see that. I've you not really seen that. need to see this movie. It's like three different movies, but all of them are really quirky, but not like in an obnoxious way. It's just very original. Like it starts off with, you know, a guy um, picking up 
um, well, yeah, I mean, Howard Hughes, pretty, right. <laughs> Jason Robarts pretty much plays Howard Hughes, and a guy picks him up after his motorcycle crashes. Um, also, when you watch the opening, you totally see where Paul Thomas Anderson used that shot in The Master, <laughs> where oh, yeah. he's just riding the motorcycle out into the, uh, like, an abandoned desert landscape. Um, but they hang out, and for, like, the first 20 minutes, it's nothing but dialogue, but they also sing. They're just in a car together, and it's one of the most charming 20-minute stretches I've ever seen. Um, and then we get to know um, the life of this trucker, and he's married to Mary Steenburgen, who's awesome in this movie. I think she was even nominated. Um, but it's just one of those movies that just captures slices of life with this one character, and you follow him as he goes from different... Um, worlds basically like first just hanging out with Howard Hughes and then secondly with his wife and then third um, if I recall he wins the lottery and he becomes a different person so it's just really kind of like unlike anything I've ever seen before Um, it's just one of those movies that captures people in their humanity and how it you know shapes and changes throughout their lives Um, but it's just when you watch it you kind of go I don't know if there's ever been a movie like this to me though I was kind of thinking it's a little Altman-esque in terms of tone I I like um, I I only know of Melvin and Howard because of a not particularly inspired SCTV sketch (laughs) in which uh, Rick Moranis (laughs) plays Melvin and then he picks up Howard Hughes um, uh, played by Joe, uh, what's his name? Flaherty. Bl- Joe Flaherty. But then throughout the sketch, he just keeps picking up more famous people right. named Howard. And it's just an excuse for them to do impressions. Like it's pretty just, much. That's all it is. Yeah. And it's it, it is the dumbest sketch. But that's <laughs> so that to me, my impression of Melvin and Howard's like, oh yeah, it's that movie where two guys drive around singing the name game song. Oh no, no, it's not at all. Okay then, it's three different movies, and all of them are great. I and they all see sort it of combine together in this really seamless way. Um, I mean, I know Jonathan Demme's going on to make things like Silence of the Lambs, but this this one has a special place in my heart. Yeah, uh, my number forty is Duke of Burgundy. Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's I've I was reluctant to put a new movie on like that, but Duke of Burgundy has sort of occupied my thoughts ever since I saw it. Same it is, here an utterly gorgeous movie it's a really beguiling movie but at the same time it the things about it that are um hard to put your finger on and hard to understand they are the things that are the least important and they just sort of add to the to the flavor and the tone of it because the actual emotional experience of watching this movie is incredibly straightforward um yeah and it's a really, really hard needle to thread. And then on top of that, he's doing all these crazy things with homages to, like, Euro horror of the 70s and stuff like that. And, and Brackage. Yeah, and Brackage at a certain point. And it's just like, it is It is so confident. And it's so incredible. And it says so much, and I related to it on many different levels. Yeah, I did too. Duke of Burgundy is an incredible film. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, this year, seeing Duke of Burgundy and It Follows, both of those... Movies. I think if I were younger, I'd be like, those two movies are like capturing a certain feeling I have and makes me want to make movies. Like, yeah. Both of those movies are just like inspirational yeah. in some well, I mean, weird of, way. Duke of Burgundy is a movie that it's like, to give you an idea, you know, because we always do the top 10 films at the end of the year, but like, Duke of Burgundy. If that was in, if I saw that last year, that would just be number one for me. Oh yeah, like I like it more. There's no 2014 movies on I this agree. list. There's 2013 movies on this list, and Duke of Burgundy is just one of those films that just immediately everything clicked, 
Uh, well, not actually. It was well, well. Actually, what's great about it is it's a movie that you walk out of it, and hopefully, you see it with one of your friends, and then you talk about it for fifteen minutes, and then everything clicks at once, and it's that joy of like putting everything together. And um, you know, Duke and Bernie's a great film. So, what's your number thirty-nine? It is a movie we might be talking about in a bonus episode. Okay, pump up the volume. There you go, pump up the volume. It used to be very. A lot higher on my list, but maybe it's just because I'm growing older. <laughs> and then yeah. The teen angst angle doesn't quite hit me the way it did, but the feeling it gives me to this day still holds true. So we're going to do a bonus episode on that and Last Starfighter, and yeah. I'm really <laughs> nervous about both, because those are films you saw at an impressionable age, and I'm But if you don't them. like them, I'm not going to be mad. Yeah, I know, but I, I want to at least be able to engage you with them. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I really hate Christian Slater, and it's going to be really hard for me to to like. I I mean, it's his best performance by far. Okay, well, then I, I like Heather's, but this is him at his best. Okay, then I'll I'll have to check it out. My number thirty nine. Uh, I'm just gonna just I couldn't uh, I couldn't help the synergy. Uh, thirty nine steps. Um, <laughs> again, just one of the most entertaining films ever made. It's one of my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movies. Um, Probably my number two Alfred Hitchcock movie, actually, if I check this list. Yes, it is my number two Alfred Hitchcock movie. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say, you said Rear Window was your favorite. Yeah, yeah. So it is really, really good, and it's really entertaining, and it is just... You have seen this movie a thousand times just because the man on the run and the and the reluctant woman who's helping him is just such a trope. But you've never seen it as good as the original. 39 Steps. Amazing. Number 38 is a movie that I may have not have seen. Well, I was going to see it eventually, but because of this podcast. Um, and it's also a movie that Andrew James thought was boring. And I love you, Andrew, but you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Repulsion. Yeah. Repulsion's higher on my list. Yeah. We'll talk about Repulsion a little later. Love it. Uh, Repulsion's great. My number 38 is Primer. <gasps> Primer is a movie I don't like nearly as much as uh, Shane Carruth's other film, but it is a film Gee, I wonder what that, is. that occupies my mind all... <laughs> I did say his other <laughs> film. There's no ambiguity. Um, but it is a film that just occupied my mind all the time, and every time I watch it, the first 40 minutes of it are the most exciting thing ever. Um, and then, of course, it does always lose me, or I lose it, I should say, because it's more my inability to keep track of things than its inability to tell the story that uh, sure. sort of loses me. But uh, Primer is such a joy, and um, I love it. You know, it's kind of a joy, but it's also really kind of dark and depressing. What? Drugstore Cowboy. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's a movie that like I don't necessarily find dreadful to watch, because a lot of... Not sort of lively. There's not a liveliness to it, but there's, I don't know. There's there's something about it that it doesn't make it. It's not a requiem for a dream kind of drug addiction movie at all. It's there's well, it has that energy. Like yeah, energy is the right word. When I first we I first saw it for the Gus Van Zandt episode, and I remember thinking that whole explanation of how they throw out the drugs and talk to the cops and everything. Yeah, like that is just straight Goodfellas. Like it came out before Goodfellas, but it has that energy to it at points. And even the even Indeed. the it's very non, well edited. even the non montage sequences, just like the scene of them talking about the hat on the bed and everything. Oh God. There's just such an intense energy yeah. to it that it's never a, a, a slog, even if it goes really dark places. Yeah, and them out running or trying to sneak past the cops out of the hotel room. That whole sequence is great. I don't know. And then of course William Burroughs shows up, and I don't know. The, the, this is one of my all time favorites for a reason. I think it captures what it's like. To, to be addicted to drugs yeah. <laughs> very, very effectively, but also in an entertaining way. 
And, it, you know, there probably wouldn't be a train spotting if it wasn't for Drugstore Cowboy. Sure. And I think it's way better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think there's any Gus Van Zandt movies on my list. but uh, Yeah, that and My Own Private Idaho are my favorites. I like a lot of his films. Uh, my number 37 is Brief Encounter. Um, that's another film I saw just last year. That'll be yeah. You'll you'll talk about that one later. Um, it is basically the template for movies like In the Mood for Love, um, and it is just endlessly subtle um, and beautiful. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it's it's subtle, but it's also the cinematic technique involved is really intense for a film from the forties. Hmm. Is it forties or late thirties? I, maybe it's I think 30s. it's early 40s. Or early 40s. Okay, but at any rate, if the amount of cinematic techniques at play are really impressive for what is ultimately not a very flashy story. Um, it's It, so it makes simple. you feel very intensely about a story that is very subtle. Yeah. And it is... That is a really hard needle to thread. It does it really amazingly. So, and when I watched it with my mom recently, she's like, "Nothing happens." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if you're, if you, if you, because if you are expecting the normal rhythms of a romantic film, then you will be super disappointed. Yeah. Um, oh my god. That so movie. what's what's your number thirty six? <laughs> you know, uh, you, you talked about second chance um, or seven chances. Sorry, and there are certainly like a lot of his shorts I love. Um, I gotta go with Sherlock Jr. Yeah. Because it was my first Buster Keaton experience, and it's also one that involves movies, and him going into the screen is just kind of brilliant for its time. Um, I love it. I love the energy of this movie. Of course, it's Buster Keaton. You can't say, you know, what else can you say about him? And uh, that's one of my favorite episodes we did, because I had not seen hardly anything by yeah. this guy. And I should have a while ago, because he's he, my sense of humor and my kind of physical yeah, energy. But, sure, like... The, the great thing about Buster Keaton is he is a super, super inventive comic mind, yes. but he is inventive in so many different ways. Like, mm -hmm. he, will have, he will have shorts that are just the camera pulled way back, and it's just him playing on this kind of playground of obstacles that, yeah. you know, thwart him at every angle and all these props and different stuff. But he will also be cinematically inventive, and that's what Sherlock Jr. is. Yes, that's exactly what I love about it so much. You know, like, like the general, cinematically, the way it's actually shot, it's pretty... It's you know it's pretty steady it's pretty standard, but the general is so playful in the way that all the obstacles come and how he solves it mm -hmm. and just all the physical comedy he comes up with. Sherlock Jr. is cinematically just yeah. really really amazing. It, it blew my mind when I saw yeah. it. My number thirty six is Goodfellas. It's just the most watchable movie Never ever. It. Yeah yeah, it's Goodfellas. Yeah everyone has seen it five times. <laughs> <laughs> so probably more. Yeah probably more because it's on TV a lot and it there it is the movie that. That has that thing. It's like, well, it's on TV. I just got to watch it. Yeah, and still, I, I probably have said this about other movies and other songs, but I th I'm pretty sure that still, to this day, um, my favorite use of a song is in Goodfellas, and that's the Layla yeah. uh, outro. I just, I cannot, if that plays on the radio at work, all I think about are dead bodies. Yeah. So, it's just a phenomenal piece I of love work. I love when filmmakers do that, when they yeah. just create an image and it's like well that's what that song is stuck in the middle with you is the torture uh -huh. song and then what and then what's amazing is when other filmmakers try to use that song and you have to oh. oh no 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 i'm sorry ridley scott american gangster cannot use across 110th street oh. in its montage because no. tarantino already bought that one that's his now he owns it you you totally sounded like you were um in uh, a joss whedon 
uh, TV show. Just your affectation there for mm-hmm. some reason. Just like your conviction and like saying something witty. I don't know. I don't know why I thought that. That's I think it's fine. Be- I think it's because there are worse. <laughs> there are worse television producers I could be in a show of. Yeah, I, I just started watching *I Zombie* by the mm-hmm. creator of Veronica Mars, and it's a show that I'm like, I shouldn't like this as much as I do, but God, it reminds me of Buffy, and it makes me happy. Yeah, those rhythms are good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you said I sounded like someone in an Aaron Sorkin show, then it would mean I was mansplaining to you why <laughs> how soundtracks work, and I and I would be like. I would be like condescendingly explaining this to a woman. That would be a Aaron Sorkin thing. Yeah. Okay. So what's your uh, number thirty-five? I don't know if it's a movie you've seen. I don't think it's something we've talked about. And it's a director. I'm surprised we didn't ever put on our list. Um, John Frank- Frankenheimer's Seconds. Haven't seen it. Which is a mindfuck of a movie, if there ever was one. What's the premise? What's the, I, I know nothing about it's Seconds. A pr- it's about an older gentleman who decides essentially he wants to live longer and. Uh, he has a procedure done through a plastic surgeon where he gets to be, oh my god, I want to say it's Rock Hudson, I think. Okay. And uh, he gets to pretty much live out a very surreal, I think this came out just as the hippie boom was taking place because there's this really surreal sequence involving him stomping grapes with naked women. Sure. And I'm like, this is such a weird movie. But then, <laughs> but then it, like, it fucks you up in a, in a way that... Like and it because it's depressing or it's it's just dark and twisted and weird where yeah. it goes. Um, I'm trying to think of like another movie to compare it to, but I think you performance know, a little bit. Um, and it has like a De Palma kind of quality to not necessarily the camera work, but just the twist and what it does in its final act. Um, is so it's a very heightened movie. Yeah, yeah, I would say so, but it's just. One of those that you never forget when you see it. It's a psychological thriller. I feel like drama. we've talked about this before. I don't think I have. I Someone's like talked I have. to me about seconds. They should. Maybe Bill Ackerman. Yeah. It's just again, you will never forget this movie when you see it. And it's just one of those movies about just the psychology of aging and death that really um, sticks with me. So if you haven't seen that do yourself a favor and check that shit out. I think it's Criterion, maybe? I'll have to check it out. Uh, my number 35 is Singing in the Rain because it's the most uh-huh. delightful, easy-to-watch movie ever. Uh, love it. I love that final uh, I love that final big closing number that everyone seems to take issue with. I think it's great. I love it, too. I mean, not everyone likes ballet, so that's fine. But uh, I love that Singing in the Rain uh, final kind of ballet number. What's your number 34? It's a movie that used to be in my top 10. It's because uh, <laughs> I have a uh, a favorite by this director mm-hmm. that um, has gone higher up, and it's Magnolia. Oh, there you go. Yeah, thirty four. I don't need to talk about. I don't need or no, twenty. No, it's we're on thirty four. Wow. Yeah. And there's no real reason other it, than it's too I, long. Did, did I point? No, you no, no. It's, I just think it's too long. That's the only thing. Like yeah. I, I haven't rewatched. That's it. That's funny. That's yeah. not even. I I don't think it's too long. Oh. I think it's the. I think it's a great length. I think. I don't know how he would feel, but I think you could cut the William H. Macy story out and the movie would still be just as good. Yeah. That's probably the only thing I can say that I dislike a little bit. Yeah. Enough to make me go, eh, if I have to pick a flaw or something that doesn't you know, sit with me well, I guess that's it. But that's a really interesting movie, though. Oh, God, yes. for For a movie that goes as big as it does and has as many like big actors... I feel like people remember it as being this kind of Oscar bait kind of a movie, but it's fucking weird. It is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Magnolia, but I got to give it credit. It's 
weird movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, number, number 34 is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Going to zip through this again because you zip through that movie. It's the most fun. Um, I It's not the best uh, Steven Spielberg movie, but it is it is sort of the best action movie. Um, yeah. I, I had to choose between this and Die Hard, and I chose Raiders. And I chose Die Hard, okay. which we'll be getting to. Um, What's your number 33? It's my favorite David Mamet movie. It's Homicide. That's my favorite David Mamet movie. Yeah. We should be friends. I think we should. Okay. Let's let's continue being friends, okay? Yeah. Let's do I it. I think that's what everybody's worried about. We're still going to be friends. <laughs> sure. Um, no, but like, God, that ending is so depressing. But it just, there's something about this movie where, again, it's that whole philosophy of most of Mamet's movies where yeah. you start to give a fuck, then, yeah. you know, that's what happens. Um yeah, Joe Mantegna's best performance by far. And that Deacon's Complex. photography. That yeah. Roger Deacon's photography? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. That yeah. scene where he the dog with the with the dog, that whole sequence is like one of the most beautiful things. Like I right. have an obsession with with scenes that are in urban environments during the daytime in which oh, something yeah. really tense is yeah. happening. Like I mean, I it tickles the same part of my brain whether it's the uh, Marcellus Wallace uh, uh, Bruce Willis fight in uh, Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. or the gunfight in Heat. There's something about like urban environments during the daytime where there's like this really tense standoff sort of a thing. You should see the movie Colors with Robert Duvall and Sean Penn. I think that's mostly all that movie is is yeah. like gang warfare. In well, the daytime. I should also say really well photographed oh, versions yeah. of that because yeah. like <laughs> because it is that's as well. But like yeah. Oh my god, yeah. There's it's a really interesting movie about race too. Mm-hmm. You know, anti-Semitism and uh, it's also a great mystery. Yeah. As to what really happens, and when you find that out, it's like, oh fuck! Like that's just that's how I feel when I watch the ending of that movie. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck. it does a better job of most of the thing of the the films that have the two storylines and like connecting them and tying yeah. them together thematically, but not bending over backwards to connect them plot wise. Right. Like, um, I think it's really much good. better ending than House of Games and oh, wow. better I, 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 I just thought of it. Like, yeah, I guess. Uh, Marcellus Wallace, so I guess uh, Ving Rhames is in two of my favorite uh, movies <laughs> with... Uh, oh, yeah. Because Ving Rhames That's is right. at the end of Homicide as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my number 33 is Repulsion. It's the, it is the height of Polanski's powers. Everything he does in that movie um, to, make, to make it tense uh, is almost entirely just based on his mise-en-scene and the way he frames things, and it's... Mm. And it and it builds amazingly, and it's oh, not. God. It's a little. I, I do think the ending is a little generic. Um, to like, there is a film that was clearly inspired by Repulsion that I will be talking about later because it's much higher. It's higher on my list. But I Repulsion's an incredible movie. I love that movie. I was yeah. really disappointed when it wasn't in your top either of your guys' uh, top three movies, Polanski movies. When we did that episode. Mine was my number one. It wasn't your number one. It has to be. There's no way, because I remember saying, I'm surprised you guys don't like Repulsion more. That's, that doesn't make sense. I don't think that was just, by I know Andrew Polanski James didn't like it. Oh, man. Did you put Chinatown at number one? No. Rosemary's Baby at number one? I think you were mad at me because Chinatown wasn't in my top three. I'm gonna maybe chi- I was, I'm gonna, maybe, I I, go maybe let's talk about Chinatown. Go ahead and look it up. I'm going to look. Actually, you know what? Maybe I should look it up while you talk about your number uh, 32. Well, I mentioned that Magnolia runs a little long. You know what movie is very long but doesn't feel like it's long at all? Mm-hmm. Is David Fincher's best film. 
Zodiac. Oh, yeah, that was... The best procedural... Barely, like, barely not on my list. Oh, my God, do I love this movie. And I've seen it, like, four times, and it's super long. But I just love all the character actors. Um, again, like, just the idea of somebody being really obsessed over something and focused on details. Um, that, that's totally my jam. And I also, I also think Robert Downey Jr. is really good. As always, you were. I stand corrected. My favorite movie, my favorite Polanski movie, was Chinatown, but because of my weird list making method, it's not on my top fifty because it had to contend with all the other seventies movies. Whereas Repulsion had to contend with sixties. I didn't even think to go through our top threes from the episodes for this. But uh, no, your number one is Repulsion. I must have been talking about Chinatown. Yeah, you weren't happy that it wasn't in my top three. Um, Chinatown's amazing too, but. uh, uh, Zodiac, <laughs> to get back on track, kind of kind of Chinatown inspired, at least in the idea of uh, this ongoing mystery that sort of gets away from the main yeah. character. I know a lot of people would probably put something like All the President's Men on their list, but again, I haven't watched that in a long time. I know I love it, but something about Zodiac I keep coming back to. It's hilarious. The ambiguity That's, that, of, that helps a lot. It's really funny. Yeah, it's also very funny. Yeah. Uh, just uh, like uh, Mark Ruffalo's penchant for animal crackers. Yeah. You know, little things like that really served this movie well. My number 32 is Moonrise Kingdom. Um, it is not my favorite uh, Wes Anderson movie, but it is, every time I've seen it, which is three times now, it is a really stirring, uh, very intense emotional experience, which I can't even necessarily say about my favorite Wes Anderson movie, but I will say um, the only reason it's not higher is because there are things in it that just, ugh, whatever. <laughs> Like the Francis McDormand, like Bill Murray didn't need to be in this movie at all. If if Francis McDormand was a single mom in this movie, that's my only. Gripe. It would that's be a little my better. Only gripe against it. Is yeah, like, like they're not really fully fleshed out. Yeah, just it's there. There's there's a couple things in this movie that sort of fall victim to the fact that there's so many characters in it. Um, but I love. But I'm loving movie. Edward Norton as a comic actor more now. Yeah, he's great in Birdman too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean. To be, I, wa- I was about to say I like him more than I like him as a dramatic actor, but to be fair to Edward Norton, I haven't seen many of the performances he's most famous for as a dramatic actor. Right, Primal Fear. I haven't seen that. People vs. Larry Flint. I don't remember that. Okay. <laughs> he's actually really good in that. Um, my number 31? Yeah. It's a movie that everybody's seen five times. Yeah. Goodfellas. Okay, cool. My number 30. Uh, my number 31 is a movie everyone's seen five times, Jaws. <gasps> It's Jaws. It's it's the best possible version of, yeah. of a horror action movie. You should watch that on Blu-ray, everybody. Yeah, I should. It get, might go higher up on your list. <laughs> as you get that, it's a gorgeous movie as well, and it's a movie that's like uh, how how they do that. It wasn't everything breaking all the time. How is this movie so good? Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg actually kind of great. What's your number thirty? It's do the right thing. It should be higher, uh, and it really it's like. God, 25th Hour, Do the Right Thing. When I'm watching either of those, they're probably my favorite Spike Lee movie at the time. Sure. But when it comes down to it, Do the Right Thing was the first Spike Lee movie that really hooked me. And uh, I became excited for everything that he does, even when he doesn't knock it out of the park. But this is a, a very memorable movie in so many ways. Um, from the opening on, it's just got all the energy you could want from a movie and yet has a lot to say. Yeah, Ava DuVernay, in an interview, Ava DuVernay, uh, director of Selma, was saying the same thing, where she was like, she was like, I know I'm supposed to say that Do the Right Thing is my favorite Spike Lee movie, but in 
actual, actual all honesty, I think 25th Hour is the best one. Yeah, it's so hard. I and can't... also, like, the idea of Spike Lee's career having such a long gap in between his two highest movies, it makes me still a little, like, oh, he could still knock it out of the park at any moment. Like That's true. I don't think he has just become a parody of himself. He just... It, he needs that right chemistry to happen, and it doesn't always happen. He doesn't need I'm gonna to be talking about, that's for sure. I'm going to be talking about Do the Right Thing a little later. Um, my number 30 is Dazed and Confused. Um, yeah, that should be on my list. It's Jesus. just highly... High, it's just so enjoyable. I mean, a lot of these films, are I don't think, are the greatest films ever, but they are just films that I will put on at any given time and get a lot out of um, and just walk away feeling kind of refreshed. And Dazed and Confused is just... Such a good movie. Um, we talked a lot about that kind of recently, so we can move on. Number, number 29, 29 is a movie that's been higher on my list in the past, and maybe it will be again once I watch it for Halloween. It's The Thing! Yeah. I don't know. I didn't realize it that Do the Right Thing and the, then The Thing are both on my list kind of in order that way. But. Do the Right the Thing? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, again. that's why they were doing the blood test, to make sure that they were going to do the right the thing. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's what people don't realize. <laughs> oh, God, this movie just fucks me up so well. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's great. Uh, I had to choose a different John Carpenter movie. Yeah, I can understand that. But uh, I won't argue it. The thing is incredible. Um, my number 29 is Duck Soup. It is the funniest Marx Brothers best movie. Soup. Which there means is. it's one of the best... It's one of the funniest movies of all time. Of course. Um, I, I will say about Duck Soup, though... Uh, it, I think, more than any other Marx Brothers, like Marx Brothers, they people talk about the Marx Brothers. They talk a lot about the Marx Brothers kind of anarchic comic energy. Duck Soup opens with eight minutes of people setting up all the different plots that are going to happen, and then, and then Groucho shows up, and then someone is like, "Here's the plot, Your Excellency," <laughs> and he goes, "Never mind all that. Pick a card." What am I supposed to do with it? You can keep it. I have 51 more. Like, uh, he's just like, you know what? Fuck this plot. This plot doesn't mean anything. At any given time, I'm going to derail. You guys, it's almost as if watching the movie, the experience of watching the movie is almost as if watching, like, the rest of the actors, <laughs> like, kind of panic on a, like, it looks like watching a stage play where, where one actor has just decided that he's just going to be a goofball and, and the rest improv. of the actors are like, um, this is kind of like a political intrigue, uh, thriller like why are you doing this and they like try to keep guiding him back on track and Groucho's character Rufus T. Firefly is just like ah no that's fine I'm gonna do some other crazy thing Love master of the non sequitur as joke yeah yeah and yeah does it so well and, that you don't even and, realize uh, it to give credit where credit's due all of those Marx Brothers movies had like a team of dozens of writers like they were written, oh yeah they were written the way Simpsons movie like everyone likes to say Groucho's the funniest person ever because he's the funniest person ever but they, they were written like Simpsons episodes where they just had we're pitching hundreds and hundreds of jokes all the time and trying them out and like so uh duck soup great what's your number 28 it's a movie nobody's ever heard of or ever seen before it's die hard yeah best action movie ever okay fair enough <laughs> my, i think it's still my favorite villain too yeah, die hard is perfect yeah uh, you know the you know the part i really really love hans gruber is when he is pretending to be the American guy. Yeah. That is when I'm like, okay, I am in love with you. You're great. That's something you don't normally Aww, see in an action movie. <laughs> you're one of them, aren't you? It's also like, it puts, he, as much he as He actually, I, he does, uh, a, Alan Rickman does a worst American, worse American accent than he actually can do. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like he. It's it's like a character Please choice. Don't for kill me! Don't kill me! Don't kill me! Yeah, don't kill me! Don't kill me! <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's it's a classic, and you know it puts something like Furious Seven to shame as much as I enjoyed it. It just yeah. Well, I mean, you can't you can't go in expecting Die Hard every time. I know. But unfortunately, once you see Die Hard, you're like, well, why not? Yeah, exactly. Um, Die Hard's amazing. Uh, my number twenty eight is Nashville. Oh yeah, uh, my second favorite Robert Altman movie. Uh, I don't know if it was my second favorite when we did the episode. I actually don't remember because there's a lot of movies contending. Um, but Nashville is a long ass movie that it is a little bit draining for me. It's not a movie I can just put on the way I can put on. Days it was Confused. your number two. It's not the movie I can just yeah. put on the way I can put on Days Confused, but it is a movie that when I do decide to sit down and watch Nashville, I just have a big smile on my face the whole time, and I'm just it's it's an incredible feat. I, it is. It's so, especially when you see other movies it inspired, like Altman did other movies like this with all the characters that never came close. And you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson tried to do movies like this, and you know, like and none of them can balance the way that uh, that Nashville does. Nashville's amazing movie. Yeah, I wonder if I just like Magnolia even more than something like Shortcuts because I. D- grew up hearing soap operas in the background and I just love the over the top dramatics of um you know someone like Julianne Moore's character freaking out in the pharmacy yeah. as much as I love Nashville it's a lot more subtle and but yeah it's effective it's definitely effective when um he's singing I'm easy and you see all the you know shots of the women mm-hmm. responding to it um so it does have uh an emotional core to it it's not just like Here's a bunch of stories and a bunch of people, and yeah. here's them interacting, and that's that. And no, it actually means a lot. Yeah. In the end, um, so that's a uh, that's a good I one. I haven't seen shortcuts in a long time, so I can't really comment on that one. But it's more goofy. Yeah, yeah I, that's how I remember it. I also remember it being less connected. I think so. Yeah, I think again, like every. I think as a premise for a movie, which is like let's take a bunch of these short stories written by the same author and put them all in the same world. I think it's a really cool premise for a movie, but I don't, I can't remember it being like a, a really great cumulative effect. But well, they're all connected by an earthquake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. End. Well, okay, that's about it. That's fine. Number twenty-seven is another movie I can just list um, because it's going to be way higher on your list, and that's Annie Hall. Yeah. For a long time, Manhattan was my favorite Woody Allen movie, but now it's Annie Hall. Yeah, Annie Hall is on my list. Uh, my number twenty-seven is Black Sunday. <gasps> It, of all of the sort of gothic black and white horror films from the 30s all the way to, I think, Black Sunday's 1960. Mm. So there's, there's a 30-year span uh, of the sort of era of universal sort of reigning supreme of these black and white you know horror films and in the 50s sort of monster movies. Uh, black Sunday is the most effective, I think. Um, it was really hard for me to select this over Frankenstein or Bride of Frankenstein. But Black Sunday ended up topping it out. I love that movie. Yeah, that's a good choice. You know, I didn't in- intentionally do this, but I put probably one of... No, nah, it might be my favorite movie about relationships right up against your favorite movie about relationships with Annie Hall. Oh, yeah. Number 26 for me is All the Real Girls, there Patrick's least favorite David Gordon Green movie. I wouldn't say that's my favorite. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I like, kidding. I like Your Highness kidding. more. I mean, I like Your Highness less, <laughs> yeah. but... Uh, Oh, God, do I love this movie. And even though I'm not a fan of Zoe Deschanel anymore, she's phenomenal in this movie. And I... Again, there's just, like, these weird throwaway lines that I... I they come out of nowhere, but they're so endearing to me. And now that I'm thinking about it, why isn't a Terrence Malick movie on my list? 
because I'm going on and on about how much I love Terrence Malick and yeah. David Gordon Green is obviously yeah. inspired by him. Right. Hmm. I just thought of that. Well, I mean, your favorite director is Paul Thomas Anderson. My favorite director is Robert Altman. I think the uh, yeah. I think the obvious conclusion is you like imitators more than the real thing. Oh my God! You're you're insincere. What? I, wait. Can insincere. I a, can I take it a step further? You you like things that are inauthentic. Um, you're terrible. Well, that's Hal Hartley's you world. You like terrible. Yeah. No, that's actually true. <laughs> No, no. I mean, uh, all the real girls does not connect with me really on any level. But uh, I've uh, been through it. I understand. Yeah, you've I've, been through it. I've fallen in love with my best friend's sister. I've had a breakup that involved, you know, um, a very similar situation with somebody going to a party and sleeping with somebody, and then coming back and telling me that they love me. Very true to my life. Yeah. In this movie, um, and there's just something about the environments from. George Washington, this movie, and Undertow. Just like, uh, you know, like North Carolina, I guess. That's Joe as well. Yeah. Just uh, areas that are very rustic and weird and sort of mm-hmm. sparse and spare. And I like I like what George Washington and uh, Undertow and Joe do with that environment more. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I definitely agree. That is one of the most appealing things about uh, David Gordon Green's work. Let's hear your number 26, and then we'll take a quick break. Hot Fuzz. It's... The, it's the best at great movie. It's one of the funniest movies ever made. It has the funniest third act of any comedy ever. Hot Fuzz. Incredible. I agree. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. If you would like to continue listening to this enlightening discussion on... 50 of our favorite films, you're going to have to download part two, which you can do right about now. And I was relating to a, I was relating to a seagull. I, I just could not understand what I was saying. about family. Well, my family. We've got to... 